you are the podcast master. That's right. We are back, and we are back in more ways than one. Welcome, everybody, back to the Matt West Now podcast. Glad to have you hanging out with us here and excited. When I say we're back, we're back in in a couple of different ways. Obviously, the PBR is back in competition, headed back to the Lazy E in Guthrie, Oklahoma this weekend to watch some of the best bull riders in the world compete and continue their 2020 season. And we are back to the PBR in this week's episode of the podcast with my buddy Justin Felisco. I'll tell you about all that in just a minute. Right now, I want to tell you about my favorite gym in the entire universe. That's right. It's a little place called West Fit, Northeast Oklahoma. And those of you that know and you are loyal listeners, you know why it's my favorite. Uh, it has become a passion project. It is um, one of the things I'm most passionate about in the entire world is my little gym in Oklahoma, and you guys have shown me that you love it just as much. And so as a little token of my appreciation, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a chance to save a little money when you order online at westfitgym.com. I want you to use the code MATTWESTNOW. That's right, just like the podcast you're listening to, MATTWESTNOW, all one word, MATTWESTNOW. And when you use that code, you're going to save 10% on anything, everything, anytime, just for being a loyal listener to this podcast. Matt West now, westfitgym.com. That's going to save you a little bit of money. Speaking of loyal listeners, do me a favor. While you're listening, drop a review in the review section of uh, this podcast. If, if you don't mind, and you'll take a little bit of time. Why? Because those are so, so important when we're trying to tell the rest of the world about this podcast. We're trying to continue to climb the charts. We're trying to continue to get the word out about what we're doing here in uh, these little conversations. So drop a review, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, doesn't matter. I don't care if you just put your shoe size, for goodness sakes, and what your favorite brand of, of boots are in the reviews, as long as you're going over there, taking the time to write something down. And you know what? We might uh, we might just start reading the best review every week at the beginning of the episode. So uh, do that. Think of something funny. Think of something witty. But um, honestly, let me know what you think of the podcast in the review section of wherever you get your podcast. I told you we're back. PBR is headed back to the Lazy E Arena this weekend. As a matter of fact, it's late uh, the night before. I'm getting ready to to get packed and head back to Guthrie tomorrow morning. Um, you know when we're recording this. So excited to get back to work. Excited to get back to watching what I believe is the toughest athletes in the world do what they do. Obviously, the environment's a little different, but. Um, at the end of the day, the sport is the same, and there's a reason that we're all fans of it because of what these guys do. I'm excited to be back in the front row watching them do that. I said I'm back to the PBR in this podcast because I know many of you are PBR fans, and you like when I continue to dive into the world of Western sports. Well, that's what we're doing here this week is we're getting back into the world of the PBR. And a guy that I know all of you will know, but how much do you know about him? And that's what we're going to do this weekend. We're going to learn a lot more about the PBR insider himself, Justin Felisco. He's been a pillar of PBR.com. He's been an absolute staple on Ride Pass from day one of its inception when it was PBR Live and it became Ride Pass. He's been there through the entire process. He's been on CBS. He's been on CBS Sports Network. The guy is in the know 
and you'll learn a, a lot more about his background, how he became involved with the PBR, which is a very, very interesting story to say the least. And most importantly to me, how he became such a fan and fell in love with this sport with no Western lifestyle background. Uh, when he took the job at the PBR. You'll hear all about it, and I promise you it's worth a listen because the guy is hes an incredible talent, um, and he's a great guy. He's one of my favorite humans ever, and I think you guys will get a little glimpse as to why during this conversation. So with that being said, let's get to it. My conversation with the PBR insider himself, the man, the myth, the one and only, Justin Felisco. Uh, this is the first time I've done a podcast that I wasn't sitting in the same room with the person. So it's new to me, Justin. It's new to me, buddy. Hey, I love it, man. I've been doing some of these random Skype things that you've seen. And I think the fun part is trying to get it to work because you don't know what you're going to get. Like I remember the first one I did was with, I think, Dalen Swearingen and he's just in a field in Georgia. And I'm like, dude, you got to go somewhere in the shade. I can't see you. The sun's blaring. But that's the fun part because you watch anything right now. It's it's trial by fire. People, I laugh at watching news and all of a sudden it's like, well, we've just lost this person. We'll get back to the break. It's just part of it now. And you're seeing things on television that you would not have seen six months ago. I mean, people using their iPhones to video things, people that are, you know, audio levels are just let's be honest, they're crap at, at times, but it's things that all of a sudden are so much more acceptable because of basically the current state of the world that six months ago, we would have been shaking our heads. Everybody in the truck would have been frustrated, but now it's just part of life. And it's almost given us a, a more of an acceptance of um, lack of perfection. Does that make sense? Exactly. I mean, I was laughing because the NFL draft they did it all through these Zooms and these Skypes. Yeah. And I looked at my girlfriend. I'm like, you're kidding me. None of these coaches or GMs have like an office in their house. They're at the kitchen table. They're right. at their couch. And it just dawned on me that even the top echelon of people in the sports world, they're used to going to the office. Most of these coaches and GMs, they probably live within 10 minutes of their stadiums yeah. or wherever their headquarters are, right? So they don't need a home office. But I'm sitting there, I'm laughing. It's like, that's really the GM of that team's office, the kitchen? Come on, man. But see, it's cool to see that, that personal side of everyone. But, uh, I mean, don't you think, though, that if you're in that realm, like, I've got to have a, an escape. I've got to have an office or some sort of room where I can go kind of hide away, get some work done, even at home. But maybe I'm different. Maybe it's easier for other people to check work at the door, leave it in the office, and walk away and pick it back up tomorrow. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's why I was so surprised. But look, I mean, my office is a spare bedroom. Like, it's my zen place, but there's nothing on the walls. It's just a white walls because until this pandemic hit, I wasn't doing any video interviews from my office. No, all I cared about was, you know, so we can do this, was this wall. I got a couple, couple of diplomas, a couple of dirty mess over here. <laughs> That's all I cared about. I didn't care about what was behind me. Right. But times have changed now. So we're seeing kind of just, you know, how how people work. And you're seeing a glimpse of people's lives and the chaos in their lives, which is really fun to see. Yeah, it really is. And you start to realize that other people are human just like we are. And they deal with the same things that we deal with, maybe on a different scale at, at times. But, um, 
humanization. And that's what I love about our sport. And I keep, I keep referring to it as our sport um, because you are as invested in the sport of professional bull riding as anybody that I know. You might not be getting on bulls. You might not be doing the same things other guys are doing. But I, I always talk about you and Craig Hummer. And, and honestly, this might be the podcast that gets me fired now that I'm thinking about it because you know, you you have become a dear, dear friend of mine, and I think you are the most overused, underappreciated human we have in the entire organization, maybe in the entire industry of Western sports. You literally have done everything, but let's go back because you didn't grow up in this kind of... I, you know what? I want to start with this because we've tried to do this podcast. Uh, we tried to do it as a wrap-up for 2019. We tried to do it as a kickoff for 2020. Let's put it all together. Let's start quickly, touch on the end of last season. The end of last season? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jess Lockwood, right? He won the world title. What, Everyone did, thought that was going to happen. Did that surprise you? Yes, it, it really did because... And I don't mean, look, I know Jess is, look, he's going to be one of the greatest of all time. He already is for that matter. But after the Velocitor finals, I thought it was over. I thought Lemmy had this, not in the bag, because I knew Jess could put up big numbers in the finals, but Jess knew that he had to win the world finals. And it wasn't that I doubted Jess winning the finals. It's it's just so hard to win the final, right? A lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, Jess could have gone five of six and someone else could have gone six for six and Jess doesn't win the world title. So I knew that Jess had it in him to make the run. But like we saw in Vegas, Lemmy did not let up one bit. He was right there behind Jess every step of the way. And if if Lemmy rides one more bull, he likely is the world champion. So I think so many factors had to fall in Jess's favor beyond him taking care of his business. And that's one thing that, I think a lot of times I try to bring to light in this sport is that you're going to hear it all the time. At the end of the day, it's bull rider versus bull. Right. It's not against Joe say it's not against the guys in the locker room, but at the end of the day, it does matter what Joe say does. It does matter what the opponents do. For it. So the numbers are super important in the sport, but they only matter if a guy rides his bull. So to that point, Jess did his job and look, Jess is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, I was talking to Cody Lambert last week on the phone and what I told Cody was, I hope at some point in this sport, we have a full season where Jess is healthy and Joe say is healthy right? because it would be freaking phenomenal. And then Colby Yates once told me, he's like, let's have a just Jess versus Joe say for a million dollars, just head to head, just see what happens. You know what? Okay. I think, the sport is going to come to things like that. I think there's these extra additions that you can add to the sport that can bring just as much attention. You know, you go back to Lane Frost and Red Rock. It it happened. It helped build the sport of bull riding. If you put a Jose versus Jess or a JB Mooney versus Chase Outlaw and you put them off to the side and say, this is, you know, this is for X amount of dollars, or we've seen it with JB and Bushwhacker. You know, how many touring pros use that as a headliner to sell tickets, to, to get attention, and it works. Yeah, I think all of those kind of side one-off, I don't want to say the old school boxing promoter push, right? But it but works. Seen, it, it works. Yeah. And I do think the great thing for bull riding right now and in the sport is that all these 
guys, they, they have a backstory. They have a quote unquote rival, whether it's animal or human. And so many sports right now outside of the rodeo world and bull riding are trying to identify the, the athlete behind the helmet, under the helmet. Who's Tom Brady when he's just walking down the street? Can you recognize Tom Brady? Of course you can. It's Tom Brady. But so many sports struggle with trying to identify their athletes when the helmet's not on them. Our sport, we know who these guys are. Mm-hmm. We see them. They're walking around all the time. They're approachable. So with that being said, because you can recognize faces now in our sport, you can build those rivalries. And look, Jess and Jose, when they both showed up at 2017 at the World Finals and Jess won the World Championship, and Jose comes out of nowhere to win the finals, we all left the arena thinking that's going to be a future world championship battle. But no one knew for sure if that would happen. So like, it's fun to see how that just rivalry evolved. Right. And look, there's going to be another rivalry within the next two years that we don't even know about right now. That's just how the sport is. Right. I mean, you, you look at the crop of young guys, we talk about the rookie class from last season and how those guys are now, whether they like it or not, there's going to be some semblance of, uh, of a grouping of those guys together, if they can all stay relatively close and competitive, then they're going to stay in that group, you know, for years to come. But, you know, you talk about the the backstories of some of our athletes. Let's let's I know both of us could talk about bull riding all day, every day. Let's talk about something different. Let's talk about your backstory because you didn't grow up around this. And this is why I kept putting off your podcast. I know, I know, I know. Me. I know. Um, and that's you know, but okay, but let me let me argue with you a minute because that's why I wanted to do this because you're very much the same frame of mind I am. It's not about me. It's never about me. It's about these athletes and trying to progress the sport and do everything we can to enhance their character. Uh, because we deal with some of the most amazing characters in all of sports, and I'll argue that to I'm blue in the face. You get it the same way I do, but you're also maybe the most visible guy we have in the PBR. You are everywhere. And I want people to understand, you know, what we appreciate about you. So let's let's go back to the backstory. Where'd you grow up? I'm a Connecticut native. I was if you ask my mom, she'll say that I'm a country boy at heart because I was born in Pennsylvania. But I grew up in Connecticut. That's where I uh learned everything, whether it was playing high school football. I went to Catholic school my entire life. Um I didn't come from a ton. I'd be the first to admit that. Um, And that's kind of actually what led me to PBR. People always ask, how does the guy from Connecticut end up at the PBR? And it's a long story, but the end of the day, I moved to Colorado when I graduated college. I had an internship with USA Hockey and their magazine. And it was, I was pumped because for four years of college, I was going to go work for a newspaper and cover pro sports. And it was going to be, the Cincinnati Reds or the Vikings and football, like that was the plan. And, you know, that's not how the world works. You don't just go to college and get a dream job. It's very rare. So about, I don't know, April of my senior year of college, I'm desperate, man. I'm trying to find anything to do with my career. And I've done all the internships. I, whatever you want to say I did, right? And USA Hockey called and they're like, hey, can you be in Colorado in two weeks? like two weeks. They're like, yeah, we'll give you an internship for six months to a year. Pays pennies, but it's and, a chance for you to get your... But you're a hockey guy. Yeah. You're a, so you're a big pumped. hockey fan. Huge. Like, I was super pumped. Um, I found out about this USA Hockey internship during a tornado 
the summer prior, I was, I'd been rejected through a bunch of internships in college. So I had no summer internship the year before a tornado hit my college campus. And during that whole process of covering a tornado unexpectedly, I discovered in the same process that there was an internship in Colorado because I was sitting there on campus, with nothing to do because I'd been rejected so many times. Right. So a year later, I reached back out to USA Hockey. I'm like, hey, um, you know, graduating, any openings? And they said, yes, come in two weeks. So I go to Colorado and it was supposed to be kind of a six month to a year kind of deal, right? And then I'd go work for the paper covering the Reds, mm-hmm. or covering the Vikings. Um, about 10 months into the stay in Colorado at USA Hockey, I'd been doing some side work covering college hockey out here, high school sports, you name it for local paper and everything's going well, but it's life. Bills start to pile up. Yeah. And when I moved to Colorado, I emptied out my savings, put it all in my blue 2005 Mazda six and just drove West. And there was no way to get back East because I was I was broke. I had no money to stop at hotels or fill up the gas tank. It was cover sports, get paid, repeat. Yeah. So for about four months, there had been this job at the PBR doing like copy editing work, managing the website. And I kept looking at it and I was like, man, I'm not a bull riding guy. Like I don't, I know nothing. Okay. I've bull riding once. Man. Let me stop you real quick because how did you know about it? I mean, were you just surfing the web and just stumbled onto it or? Yeah. Yeah, I was, there's a teamwork online, it's a big sports kind of job thing and all the organizations put stuff up there, right? So I've been looking for jobs and this PBR job kept popping up and I'm like, man, nah, that's not me. But again, I'm kind of getting desperate and I hate to say that now because look, right now the world's in a terrible, terrible pandemic, right? Right. And I don't want to even say that I had it rough then because there's right now people without work, without paychecks. So like in hindsight, my trials and tribulations then nowhere near what people are going through now. But at the same point, I'm still trying at that point, try to find uh, some roots, right? Get a consistent paycheck and find a way to pay off some debt and keep progressing in the career. So I apply for the job, not thinking of a phone call. I'm just, right. I'm desperate. And uh, they called me, uh, PBR called me. Um, I had an interview at the time with Keith Ryan Cartwright, who was um the main I guess senior writer insider whatever you want to call him at that yeah. point and I'll Love never Keith. forget what we're talking and he's like I gotta ask you're from Connecticut why do you want this job and and I can't he's like I can't ask you this but how old are you and I'm like wait you're asking my age you can't ask my age on a job interview <laughs> but again I'm like, well and, and, and anyone that knows Keith Keith is very blunt right right and I appreciate that so I told him I was like look I'm I must have been, I think, 22 at that point, um, maybe 21. I forget exactly. But I told my story. I was like, hey, look, I need a job. I'm a passionate sports guy. I can come learn from you and learn some tricks of the trade and hopefully move on to the next thing. So it was supposed to be six months. Then it became a year. Keith then decided to um, take on new challenges in life and work on writing a book and go get his master's and he decided to leave the PBR. And that was shocking. No one thought right. Keith was leaving. Right. And so Keith left and they approached me with a, Hey, do you, do you want this job? And I was like, what me? So like, well, yeah, you, you've been working with Keith. You, you, you're a sports writer. Like, why not? So I said, sure. I'll do it for three months, six months. Right. And then a year later, there was talk of, well, we want to launch a 
a digital OTT network. You want to start doing more video stuff and you could help us out with that. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll do some on-camera stuff for our six months to a year. And now we're at year seven. So has it really it, been that long? Yeah, I believe this coming May. Well, we're in May now. So yeah, it'll be seven years. So, uh, everybody that listens to the podcast know Keith's been on a, a couple of times. I'm a big Keith Ryan Cartwright fan. Um, matter of fact, I, I have probably talked to him as much as anybody during this whole quarantine thing, uh, outside of my immediate family, um, shows you how little I talk to people <laughs> when, when I'm back home. But anyways, um, it, you, you brought up the OTT and the launch of all of that stuff. That's where you and I really started spending more time together. And I really got to know you and, and I had seen, you know, in passing, like you get in your stories. I had, I had read your stories obviously now for years and I thought, okay, this guy's putting time in, he's working. But then when we started working together, I saw just how hard you work. And it was something that I can say the same about Craig Hummer. I didn't realize how much time and effort each either of you spend in this sport, just learning about the sport, much less getting the stories to tell the guys. And now you've spent so much time around it that um, that, that guys will come to you, they'll talk to you, they're comfortable with you, which is a big thing in this world. Yeah, you know, you talk about just the effort that goes into things, right? Um, I can say this now, I think, I think the time PBR was in our different ownership. So when Keith was still with the PBR, <laughs> I had an agreement with my boss at the time, who's no longer with the PBR, and Keith, and because they knew that my job, my dream job was to, to be a beat writer somewhere. Right. Everyone that worked with me when Keith, they knew that this wasn't supposed to be Justin's long-term gig. So I got an opportunity one weekend to cover the Mets for the New York Times. And it, w- it was about three months earlier, I'd covered the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Times. And that was a huge thing for me. Like that was a paper when I was a little kid in middle school, yeah. I'd, I'd read the New York Times and look at the box scores. And I was that nerd, loved mm-hmm. reading the newspaper. So anyways, the PBR was great with letting me basically have this side, this side job where I would freelance and do smart things. And they said, hey, as long as you work for us all the time, we don't care what you do at night or whatever. So anyways, the PBR was coming to Colorado Springs and everyone was excited. You know, we had to cover the event, our home arena. Keith's going to be in town. I'm going to work with Keith, talk to the bull riders face to face. And the New York Times calls and they're like, hey, do you want to cover the Mets this weekend? And I'm like, hell yeah. Oh. But now I've got to go tell my boss that I can't work the Springs event. I, I can't do this. So they were great. And they, they say, yeah, go ahead, cover it. Don't, don't say anything. So I go up to Denver. I covered this game. And I always tell this story because if you're trying to see how, how I operate, I go up to Denver. I cover this baseball game. I then have to pull over at a rest area at a McDonald's to get Keith's story and publish it to the website and then go home. So I'm at this rest area at like midnight trying to put in, I don't know who won. I think that may have been the event where Fabiano hurt his shoulder. I'm not paused. Something happened. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I'm doing that right. And I go home, wake up in the morning, edit the morning line for Slade, drive up to Denver, cover a baseball game for the New York Times, pull over another rest area and do it all over again. I get into the office that Monday and one of the main VPs of the PBR who's no longer there 
He goes, Hey, how was your weekend? I'm like, ah, I was all right. Same, same as always. Right. And he goes, no, I, I heard you had a big weekend. I'm like, no, just normal weekend. He's like, and he slams the paper on my desk. He's like, great job. And I was like, Oh, I, I didn't know you knew. So he walks away and my boss is like, yeah, sorry. I didn't tell you that. I told my boss that you had this gig. Long story short, when Keith left, part of the reason why I think I got the job outside of the fact that Keith put a word of me was the mm -hmm. fact that I wrote for the times. My boss told his boss, Hey, if Justin could do this, he's committed to, mm -hmm. to doing this with everything he's got. So that's another reason why I think I got the job was that because I took that New York times gig, it proved to people, the PBR that I wasn't just this 22 year old editing the website. Well, not only that, and yeah, the New York Times is huge, but I think the effort that you put into continuing your work with the PBR and showing that, because the, let's be honest, there's a lot of people that said, you know what, I'm going to go work for the New York Times, and by by the end of the day, by Monday, they're going to want me full-time, forget this other thing that I'm working on. But you took the time to do both and to make sure that you did both well, and I think that says a lot about your character. Um, let me ask you this, though. At what point in this whole process did a kid from Connecticut realize that he absolutely loved this sport of bull riding? You know, um, well, I don't, I don't love, it. I'm just kidding. I, I do love it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's going to be the clip that I take out to promote this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, I think when it really kind of hit me that like, this is going to be my thing and it wasn't, a six month to a one year kind of deal. Um, I'll never forget. I think it was, so yeah, it was that year. It was 2014. Um, I was in Las Vegas and I wanted to sit down with Silvano. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do an interview with him because I had seen all of the, the controversy and the drama behind him. Right. And I didn't understand it because I'm a Connecticut guy. I'm like this, this bull rider is dominating. He's riding right. everything. He's winning. Yeah, he's winning. Yeah, and he's winning. And he's winning with these low scores. And I never understood. I'd heard that, well, you know, the re-ride conversation and he's not riding the rank bulls. And and again, I was in Vegas the year before with Keith, and I've seen JB Mooney have this phenomenal finals, and it was amazing. This guy hitting mm -hmm. home run after home run, and he takes down Silvano. So like I've seen how awesome it is when you have these heavy hitters in the sport. But I never understood what the Silvano story was i guess because i'm a football fan so i'm like well silvano just wins the bull riding by kicking field goals yeah it may be boring but okay right so i wanted to sit down with silvano because i just wanted him to know that look i'm new you don't know who i am but here's how i look at you and what you do and he had a translator there and we had this conversation we're sitting there and i tell him i think you're like an NFL team that just kicks field goals, but you don't care about how you win as long as you win. You care about riding your bulls, winning championships. Nothing else really matters, right? How you get there, it's not about how you win the race. It's as long as you win the race. Right. And I tell him this, he stops talking in Portuguese, and in English he goes, thank you. I completely understand what you're saying. And I was like, whoa, I thought you didn't speak English. <laughs> And at that point, I realized that there are so many stories in our sport that aren't being told, and not that they're not being told correctly, but 
we just forget about it. And I've made that mistake now because I've been around long enough where you have to go back and remember that there's a story that may be told again. Um, and talking to Silvano that year, just remind me that there are so many intricacies of our sport that appeal to the mainstream people that don't necessarily know it. And that's when it started to click. I'm like, you know what? If this guy can win all these championships and he's a villain at times, mm-hmm. whoa, like this sport is definitely more so than just guys getting on bowls for eight seconds at a time. There's more to it. And that's what started my kind of, I think, interest and love in telling the story because there is strategy behind it. There is these characters, these these people that look at the sport beyond just eight seconds. And to me, that is the cool thing is that each guy in the sport has their own way to do it. See, and you bring up so many great points in that because... I, I I work with guys like Clint Atkins, who for the longest time was a statistics guy, and he'll tell you, you know, he would have every statistic and he would have every matchup, and he'd try to break it down and everything. Basically, do a, a lot of the work that you Slade guys like that do. Um, Scott Grover, he'll take a million notes and things like that. My note taking was always in the locker room or at lunch or in the gym around those guys because we talk about telling their stories. We've told the story of J.B. Mooney, the Dragon Slayer, for however many years now and how he rides all the world champions. I And I told him this the other day. I'm ready to start telling the story of J.B., the husband and the dad, because he's sending me you know, videos of Jagger out calling the cows all day. And that's, I mean, to me, that's what I connect with the most. I'm never going to ride a world champion bull, but... I love kids and I love seeing a kid that loves that type of atmosphere. And most importantly, I love seeing a dad react the way that he does. He's not the quote unquote, you know, bad boy that everybody thinks he is when he's with his kid. And I, that's a, there's a whole nother side to all these athletes that the world doesn't always get to see. And you have done a great job over the last few years of starting to present that. And see one thing too, I've gotten from a lot of people and, I'll never forget, you mentioned JB, people will say, oh, you just write about JB all the time. And I go, yes and no. And I've made it a point since day one, whoever wins the event, whoever most of the time wins the round, sometimes I'm a little bit slow on that, but whoever wins the event gets a story from me. Right. And, and here's the reason why. It's not that winning defines everything, but I think it's important that if, for example, right, Fabiano, he won that event two weeks two weeks ago in in Guthrie. He deserves a story, even if it's nothing out of this world. Your accomplishments in the arena—that is the start of everything. Yep. That opens. That's the, why we're here, right? Exactly because, and it's no offense to the third string quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's not going to get the same attention that Patrick Mahomes gets. That's so right. JB earned that celebrity in a way by what he's done in the arena. And the the key for all of us is once you've defined what they've done in the arena, how do we convince them to show who they are outside of it? Because the great athletes, they don't want to give you a glimpse of their life if they're struggling in the arena, because then their priorities aren't right. So people would say, JB's done really good at giving fans a glimpse of himself, especially because he's not riding right now. Yeah. And I think it's been really good for all of us to see JB these past two, three 
for years because in this sport, it humbles guys, right? Mm-hmm. When you can be on top of the game and just get completely ripped off that pedestal, um, how do you respond? And JB's one of the best. If he bucks off a bull or gets hurt, he'll do an interview. Yeah. And he is very, very good about that. And it's great to see him now showing that that side that maybe fans didn't see five, six years ago, right? The the life at home and father Mooney, that's all fun stuff. Well, and I think people are starting to learn that, you know what? There has been a shift in not just this sport, but in all of sports, especially, you know, you're watching the Chicago Bulls documentary now and you see some of the things that happened behind the scenes and the way that different athletes were treated. You know, hey, bull riding is no different. Guys, guys get taken advantage of. Guys get used for stories. Guys get used for this, that. When they realize that, you know what, this guy's not out to get me. This guy is trying to help us. He's trying to help build the sport. Then all of a sudden they're in they'll do whatever you ask them to. And that's, you know, guys like JB see that they understand that, you know, and it's not just about us. It's about the next generation. There's going to be guys 20 years from now that are going to benefit from as silly as it might sound guys, 20 years from now will benefit from the stories that you write about right now. So give them the time, give them those interviews because ultimately that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to make the sport bigger and better for the athletes. And you know what's fun, too, about this, Matt, is um, a lot of people say, look, no one reads anymore, right? It's all social media. It's all video. To an extent, I I understand that, right? Like, our attention spans are different. Mm -hmm. But I will say, and during this this crisis we're in, I've tried to go back into the vault and find stuff that was documented in these past few years or 10 years ago. And finding articles from Brett Hoffman when he covered the 19th or finals for the star telegram reading all the stuff that Keith Ryan Cartwright did over the years. Um, the Slade long feature stories and morning lines from many years ago, there is a history aspect of this sport. That's so important to me. That's why I still want to write as much as I do, because I hope that in 15, 20 years from now, when ESPN is doing this documentary on, on JB Mooney potentially, or whoever in the PR they'll go back and they have to research. And that is one of the keys of every documentary you watch on TV, video thing you see on social media. It starts with some, probably a sports writer or someone with that background that asked a question and wrote a story. And then once you have that story out there, it's, it's kind of like a spider web. It's one subject matter that could be just shoot off everywhere. And now there's 20 different ways to tell that one story. And to me, that's what you couldn't do so well. You read a story and you tell it a different way. Well, that's how it should. Be. And that's why I thoroughly enjoyed being on camera with you. And, you know, our producer would be like, Hey, we've got two and a half minutes to fill. And then halfway through, they'd be like, uh, they just took another commercial break. I need you to fill seven minutes or whatever. Like, I know that you understand that and whatever we're talking about right now can spawn six or eight other different avenues that we can take down because there are so many stories. There's so many great stories that that we never even get to talk about. So let's spend a little time on it. You understand that. And that's not something, and it's not a knock on anybody. It's just not something that everybody grasps a hold of. It's like, we got to go here, 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 and here, and we've got to stay in this order. But what happens if this gets erased? We got to go somewhere. 
and you get it. It's important. I, I don't look at myself as just a guy breaking news on social media or Twitter. I, I hope that everything that I do and that we do for the sport, it gets, it gets put in cement somewhere. Um, it's, it's tough for us and we want to find out what happened at the 1996 PBR season. We, and we can't find all the results. And that, that is always a reminder to me that everything that we do, and it, that's why I think for, for the arena announcers like yourself, Clint, Brandon Bates a few mm-hmm. years ago, Rye Pass, PBR Live, the live arena show, once PBR started broadcasting that, that gave you guys a spot into this cement, right? Mm. 20 years from now, someone's going to go back and say, man, I need to look back at round one of, I don't know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it wasn't on TV that night. All of a sudden, though, there's that ride pass clip or there's that PBR live clip with Brandon. And that, to me, is so great because now the sport has a place to live for many, many years. And we're all old and have our canes and we're telling war stories of the PBR and JB and Silvano. Someone's going to go back and see that. And that's really, really cool for me because you see the 1970s NFL films, right? These past 26 years, PBR is finally starting to lay the foundation that 20 years from now, we're going to see all that stuff brought back to life. And it's really, really cool to see. It's so funny you say that because when I first started announcing, I spent so much time watching old VHS tapes of old rodeos and other announcers. Um, I, I grew up going with my family to the Lazy Arena, which is is why it's so interesting and unique to be going back there now in 2020. Um, but there was always the voice of Clint McSpadden. Clint was synonymous with uh, especially the beginning stages of my career, starting to learn you know, how he told stories. Um, I was a huge pro wrestling fan, so Jim Ross has obviously been prevalent in my entire life. He's been a voice that I've listened to tell story after story after story. But when I really started announcing, I'd go back and I'd watch all these tapes. I'd go watch old PBR, and, and there was like Brandon Bates was a voice that was always in there. And I had this thought that, I want to be the voice that when people go back and they start looking at old tapes or they start looking at old videos, like I want to be the voice. I want to be the voice of that clip where JB rides Bushwhacker or Cooper Davis rides Smooth smooth Operator. Like I want my voice to be connected to those major moments in this sports history. Uh, For guys like us, that means something. It means the world because, and I I say this, this way, I'm not sure how I say it was out sounding cocky or wanting it to be. It's okay. Let it loose. (laughs) But one of the dreams that I always had as a kid growing up was I wanted to be in a documentary. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be that sports writer that says, Hey, you know, when I was at this, this event, I saw this Mm -hmm. and never in a hundred years would you have told me that, Hey, you're going to be a bull riding guy and you're going to be in a documentary. It's on Netflix. And to this day, I still will talk to random people about what I do. And they'll be like, Oh, wait, you were that guy on Netflix. And I'm like, what, me? No, no, I mean, yeah, I was, but it's not about me. Right. And that that is great when you have outside perspective in the sport. Yourself, myself, guys that don't ride bulls, Craig Hummer, that can bring in a different perspective that makes this sport bigger than just a bunch of cowboys getting on bulls for a living. It's grown so much. And to me that whenever we see Craig do these the CBS Sports Network shows with McBride, he brings a different element to the broadcast that you bring or that I bring. 
or that Kate brings, or in the past, Leah Garcia, or what Keith Cartwright brought. Everyone brings a different aspect to the sport, but it all connects so well. And that's what that's why The Last Dance is so much fun to watch, right? This MJ documentary, because you have all these different people talking about it, which is phenomenal. Different perspectives, but one thing is consistent, and that's a love for the sport. Uh, and, a, and a true passion. And I know that word might get overused sometimes, but but all of the individuals you just mentioned have a passion about this sport and its athletes and making it bigger. Um, it's funny you say that because I've always wanted to be a guy that that did voiceovers in like a museum or a documentary. You know, when when you go in and you're watching this video in some movie theater at a museum. I want to be that voice that tells the story of such and such or whatever. So that's funny. I've always wanted to do that. Um, let's go back to the beginning of your PBR career. Do you remember the first athlete or the first interview you did? Ooh, I, I was thinking about this last week, actually, and we were talking about finally getting me on the podcast, and I'm not positive. I'd have to check, but I think if he wasn't the first, he had to have been one of the first five, but it was Shane Proctor. Uh, I believe a tornado had hit somewhere. He was either going to a rodeo or was at home. Somehow a tornado hit near him and he was driving. I forget the exact story, but Keith was like, Hey, do you want to call this guy Shane? There's like a tornado near him and just see what's going on. Huh. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll call Shane. And that had to have been one of the first ones. Um, I will say probably the first, like, if you want to call it like maybe the first, there's certain relationships we build in this sport, right? Mm -hmm. Where there are certain guys like Jess Lockwood and you have become very close over the years. There are certain athletes or contractors that you kind of form a bond with that are not easier to work with, but talk to you a little bit more. They'll call you out of the blue. Yeah. I think one of the first people that I really kind of connected with beyond just the box scores relationship was Julio Moreno. Um, you mentioned the JB touring pro stuff with Bushwhacker that year. I had to go to, uh, I think it was what, Bismarck, um, Santa Barbara, Salinas, all these stops along the way for the Bushwhacker Summer Series. And I had to talk to Julio a lot. Um, that was probably the first guy that I felt like I was really starting to know where I was learning different things. I'll, I'll never forget one of the favorite stories I wrote that summer was Julio used to keep 13 cents in his pocket. I remember that. Because that was ear tag right and julio was fascinating to me just how superstitious he was with the 13 cents and i'm like bullshit you don't got 13 <laughs> he pulls out the 13 cents and i'm like all right and chewing the gum like julio was fantastic my first year because again i wasn't from this world i had spent a year studying from keith and i learned a lot from keith and to this day keith carr was a huge mentor to me and i learned a lot of things from keith that I didn't even realize I was learning until Keith left. Right. Um, that first year was tough. I had to like be like, hey, I'm not Keith, but I am Keith. Like I'm the guy that's trying to replace this pillar of the sport. And uh, it took time. Uh, Ty Murray, he's like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, well, actually. And so then Ty. What happened to that other guy that was around here? The guy with the glasses, that guy. It was the worst yeah, Ty Murray Ty impression ever. Cody Lambert helped me that first year. All those guys that were really close with Keith, they welcomed me in with open arms. I To this day, I am forever grateful for how open this whole world was to bring me in. Very cool. Uh, who's, your, who's been your favorite? You talk about Julio. Who's been your favorite? Your favorite guy to cover in this sport? 
obviously there's a couple. I will say for me, one of probably the the favorites would be Cooper Davis, just because him and I both came up the same time, if that makes sense. Keith left, I believe it was the spring of 2014. And Cooper debuted at one event that August in Nashville with his crazy flower colored shirt. I used a rodeo kid and had a little swagger to him and confidence. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm a PRCA guy. I'm not intimidated by, by the PBR, but that next year Cooper came around and I have covered Cooper from day one, essentially the PBR from him being the fat chubby kid that JW Hart and Cody Lambert called out <laughs> to him losing the 25 pounds in three months to win the finals getting engaged to Caitlin, getting married, having Mac, the health crisis, the scare with Mac, where Mac got really sick that year in Arlington, um, the world championship. Like, I really feel like I've, I've covered Cooper through a lot in his life, and Cooper's been phenomenal with me. I think to this day, you know, we still text every now and then. He'll call me every now and then. I'll call him. Um, last night I watched your uh, Coors Banquet Happy Hour with Coop, and I texted Cooper afterwards. Cooper is definitely one of the guys I think I've not only covered a lot, but grown up with. We yeah. both were in our mid-20s. I think he's only a couple of years younger than me. Like, There's a lot of similarities and differences, obviously, but um, I really would put Cooper in my, my top tier. Yeah, he's, a, he's such a great guy. And uh, you know we, we talk so much about the athlete, but I like Cooper more away from the arena because of who he is. I mean, because he's real and there's no bullshit to him. It's like, if he doesn't agree with you, he's okay saying that nah, I don't agree with that or you're wrong or, you know, I mean, he can be, I, I don't want to say difficult, but he's very matter of fact. Um, and, and what you see is what you get with Cooper, which I think is a huge positive. Um, same thing, you know, one of my first world finals, that I was really starting to feel a little extra pressure. My mom and dad sat next to this, you know, pretty little blonde girl whose boyfriend was riding out there in a flowery shirt and they sat next to each other every night. And so, and then when he wins the world finals that, well, next year they got to get all their seats together and everything. And so, um, there was always this little weird connection. And then over time, I've just gotten closer and closer and closer to Cooper. You talk about the scare in Arlington, you know, it was my phone that rang. Uh, that morning that said, Hey, I don't know who to tell, but this is what we're doing. Um, I'm, I'm headed to the hospital and I know I'll get coop on and we'll, we'll talk about that a lot, uh, on the podcast in the future. But again, that was a scenario where I wish everybody could see the dad ahead of the bull rider, ahead of the world champion or anything like that, because I promise you more people would invest in, in that guy as an athlete. And now, you know, obviously they do with the, the wonders of social media. Um, everybody's starting to see that side of him more, but let's talk about that side of you because did you adopt another dog? I know that I was a weird little curveball. Uh, yes, I did. So my girlfriend Morgan is a huge, huge, huge animal lover, mm -hmm. loves dogs. And she has been asking for years to get another dog. And I kept kicking the can down the line. And, and finally for her 30th birthday, I was like, Hey, it's part of your gift. Let's, let's go adopt a dog and let's do this. And the funny story with all of that outside of that, I finally caved and I'm a sucker is that, um, she kept asking me, what kind of dog do you want? And I'm like, 
I don't know. I go, I'm going to go to the shelter and we're going to find one. And it's kind of like, it's going to hit. I don't, I, yeah, I want the dog to choose me or I'm going to choose a dog. It's not going to be like, I want this breed, this color. Like I'm not that kind of person. I just love animals. So we found a dog somewhere up near Denver. I forget exactly what kind of dog it was. And Morgan reached out to the uh, lady that had this dog and the lady goes, Hey, I'm really sorry. This dog's not available. But I have this other dog named Earth. And I'm like, hell name is Earth. And Earth was this black and white Alaskan Malamute shepherd mix, big dog. And he'd been saved from Korea from a meat factory. And somehow he got saved from this factory in Korea, was in California. And then from California, he went to Denver. So Morgan's like my girlfriend. She's like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, let's go visit him. He looks, looks cute. And when you go up there, Matt, and this dog is phenomenal. And I don't know where he is now. He's probably sleeping somewhere downstairs. And he's the new man of the house. But um, we adopted him. And just like I said, the dog was going to choose us. We weren't yeah. going to choose it. And we got up there and we fell in love with this thing. So uh, now I'm the number two man in the house. And it goes, Morgan, Bailey is his, his name. We have Lola, a little chocolate lab. And then we have Myrtle, which is a turtle. Myrtle the turtle. Yes. I feel like Myrtle the turtle needs to show up more on your Instagram. <laughs> and see, funny about Instagram, I'm <laughs> terrible at social media. I'm terrible because I get so caught up in not wanting to be the center of right. the story that I forget to build my brand. I am terrible at building my brand. But, okay. It, my it, brand is your story. Not my story. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off, and and this is this is why, and and this is important to me because I've had it drilled in my head for years. I'm like you. If it was up to me, I would throw Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff away. It's twofold for me. One, I have so much family that keeps up with where I'm at, what I'm doing on social media, and two, we have a lot of fans that follow the sport of professional bull riding that see things through our perspective which we take for granted. One of my favorite photos is of you and Craig Hummer in the locker room talking to Cody Nance. Why? I have no idea. I found it on my phone last week. I need to I need to go back and post it, but it's it's two guys in my opinion, it's two guys that I work with every week and one of the big stars in the sport, okay? Three guys having a conversation in a locker room. But when I stopped and I looked at it, that's things that our fans don't see. Our fans don't see a guy from California uh, that was in Baywatch, Craig Homer, uh, yep. a kid from Connecticut that grew up a hockey fan that was going to go write for the New York Times or whatever, sitting there talking to, in my opinion, one of the toughest athletes in all of sports in a very candid moment that, you know, we take for granted. We take all of these things for granted. And I'm reminded weekly when we go on these tours or I take somebody on a tour and I show them the locker room, which to me is just a room full of sweaty guys and we know the different cliques that are in the locker room. I don't think much about it, but when I see a kid or a fan walk in there and their eyes get huge, I go, oh yeah. Like if I was going in the St. Louis Cardinals clubhouse, I would feel the same way. If I was going backstage at WWE, I would feel the same way. We have, and I do think we have a responsibility to our fans to show them the things we take for granted. hundred percent. It was like in the, um, the last dance, 
this past weekend. I don't know if you watched this past weekend. I don't want to spoil it for you. I've watched them all. Okay, I think everyone's watching yeah. it. In re- I'm hooked. But it's like Tiger King, they, but way better. When they showed MJ meeting with all those kids, right? Every game, the first thought I had was JB Mooney, Chase Outlaw, Jess Lockwood, all of our bull riders. Yep. Every weekend, they do meet with someone. Yep. And always I'm amazed at how well, and yourself included, you've done a lot of this well, so I don't want to leave you out of that group. You all do such a great job with these kids and giving them a glimpse of life in the locker room, making them feel a part of that, that team for just a little bit. And I think that's something that everyone forgets that our riders and most, most pro athletes are like that. You hear so much about, Oh, this guy won't sign an autograph or this guy won't do this. But at the end of the day, most of these athletes and people behind the scenes will bring others in yeah. It's just not publicized. But a lot of times, guys don't want the publicity for it. Right. They just want to do it out of the kindness of their heart. Well, and they're doing it for the right reasons. I go, I go back to our little friend Molly uh, from Minnesota that showed up, and Chase Outlaw shaved his head because he wanted to make sure that everybody was comfortable in the situation. Um, man, I've taken so many kids from from different organizations back, and as soon as I walk through the door, that I'm going to cry. Um, as soon as I walk through the door of that locker room with one of those kids, it's amazing to see the guys just whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter what bull they have that night. They just drop everything and they come over just to say hi. They don't even know the story. They don't know the situation. Nine times out of 10, uh, they just drop everything to go say hi and see if they can make that kid's day better, no matter what. And, And a lot of times it's just a random kid or a random fan and they just want to meet the guys and our guys are so uh, receptive to that. Always. I, I've never had a guy tell me no. They may say, hey, give me 10 minutes, but I mean, our guys are really good about that and I I think for all athletes, seeing Jordan do that, it's got to be a good reminder of, hey, that's what you do. You you take the time. Even if it's five minutes, ten minutes, you do that. You know what I thought was cool? The the second I heard Jordan drop the F-bomb on national TV, I was like, all right, I'm an even bigger fan. Because he just he has a level of cool. Like, And, and I'll argue with anybody. He's the greatest of all time. He's better than LeBron. He's, he's the man. There's nobody that, in my opinion, gets to the Michael Jordan status right now. Um but he's just got this level of cool that I don't know that they make in humans anymore. And it's just the, there's so much with him, right? Like mm-hmm. I always say every athlete's an onion. You got to peel back different layers and different stories. Yeah. And with Jordan, it's like, just when you think there's nothing left there to, to learn, there's something more. Yeah. And the cool thing about, I think, to me, that whole thing is that you know how competitive Jordan is. Right. But hearing his teammates say it, that even they didn't know at times what was going on with Jordan. Yeah. Like they couldn't even get to that level. Like how Scottie Pippen was just like this shy guy that's really good at basketball, but he didn't have that fire mm-hmm. that Jordan. And Jordan was able to basically take a match that he light himself on fire and then go light Pippen on fire. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing. Just when you have someone that works that hard and is that talented, but can also then elevate everyone else around them to make them a whole new level of an athlete or a person, that shows how 
powerful you are yeah. and talented. And that's what Jordan did. Jordan made so many people that much better. But I think the real, I want to say hero, Phil Jackson, man. Holy. Right. Like, I knew he was a talented coach, but who he was outside of the court and after what country he was in where he was coaching basketball. And he said that, like, they were like, I don't know what they're doing. The crowd, they were like lighting fires, like. Phil Jackson is so interesting to me that I want a Phil documentary now. What I love about Phil Jackson is, and, and I remembered seeing the videos of like the team doing yoga, and I knew that he was into a lot of that stuff that at the time wasn't the norm. Um, but what I love about Phil Jackson more than anything is when, when it comes to Dennis Rodman, he understands Dennis Rodman is a different human than the rest of the guys in the locker room. Okay, I've got to treat him different where – you know, school teachers, for instance, school teachers will treat every kid exactly the same. Not all, but every kid exactly the same. They get disciplined the same. They get rewarded the same. Not every kid reacts the same. And Phil Jackson understood that about his athletes. It's like it's like us. We know that every athlete in the locker room, uh, you approach them different and you're going to get a different reaction. I We're friends with them. He knew those guys on a personal level. He knew how to treat them. He knew how to get the most out of them, and he did it, and it was successful. He's, I'm with you, man. I, I want to see more about Phil Jackson. Right. He just is extremely fascinating to me. And uh, you mentioned the uh, approaching the guys in the locker room. One thing that people always ask me is they want me to be more of, um, how do I put this? They want more, not Skip Bayless, but they're like, why don't you ever like have more of an opinion? Why don't you like, and I'm like, here's what people forget in our sport. The difference for us compared to say an NFL national writer. If you Matt go on this podcast and you say, you know what? Jess Lockwood's terrible. I think right. he's a crap. He's fake. I don't think he is genuine. You just roast the guy. Right. What happens when you walk in that locker room this weekend? Well, I guess not this week because Jess is hurt, but whenever Jess would be there and Jess sees you, he's going to confront you on it. You're going to have a fight on your hands. Right. And watching the MJ documentary, it's a reminder that if one person came out and criticized Jordan for the gambling stuff, rightfully or wrong, that person could still go back there and be part of a group of reporters, right? right. It's kind of a team. In our sport, you and I and everyone else, because there's so few people there on a consistent basis, we have to balance that act of what we say, how we say it, because it's, it's not our job to, to criticize a guy, right. but it's a way to call the facts as they are. So, But it's, get, it's easier for us to, and, and I, I completely agree with what you're saying, but it's easier for us, and me especially, because there's not a single guy in the locker room that I don't genuinely like. Like I don't work with anybody that I just can't stand to be around. I genuinely like everybody that we have with us every week. And so to me, like those things don't pop into my brain. I'm very much, I, I say what I think. And if I think this guy needs to focus more on, on riding bulls, I'm going to say, okay, I think he needs to focus more on riding bulls, but like that's the extent of my criticism because that's how I feel. And the good thing is though, you'll have that conversation with with him if that comes in way person, ahead right? of time. Yeah. The thing is that I think the great thing for our sport is that the people that are in this sport are there every weekend now. 
Yeah. And there's a there's a lack of trust in some of the sports media right now. And you can say media in general, too, because you can say something about someone and never see them again. The best sports writers out there right now, in my opinion, are the ones that are going to the locker room every day because you got to find that balance and you got to make sure that whatever you say or write or tweet, it's been fun. The Athletics had some of these uh, stories about writers that got caught tweeting something that wasn't wasn't meant to be interpreted the wrong way. Right. But then it. Um, but they all said that eventually they had to have that conversation where the athlete pulls them aside and goes, "Hey, man, why did you say this?" Right have that conversation, you iron out your differences. And and it's great that our sport still has that because you have to make sure that whatever you say, you better back it up. Yeah. I mean, I don't, Zeke's been phenomenal. Zeke's like, man, I used to hate you, Justin. I'm like, what? He goes, you used to say, oh, you know, this guy's bucked off this many bulls or he's this, this, this. And then I'm like, so I go, but was I wrong? And he's like, no, that's your job. You know, it's, it's, it's not my job to ride the bulls for you, Zeke. Yeah. And, and Zeke's great about it. And, but that's the thing too, is that people say sometimes, Oh, you know, you're so stat heavy. I have to be that way. Cause I don't know how to ride a bull. Right. No, I, that's the way I can tell the story fairly. If you, if you buck up a bull, that's not my fault. Well, you're if a sports you reporter too. Like that's, that's part of sports. Statistics are part of sports. Hitting slumps are part of sports. Uh, you know, home run leads. That's part of sports. Like you're calling the sport and our fans, I love them, but our fans get caught up in the emotions of, and not just our fans, our athletes, they get caught up in the emotions of of humanization, right? So if you say, well, so-and-so's bucked off 12 in a row. Well, if he gets pissed off because you wrote that, sorry, that's not your fault. Like you didn't buck off any bulls. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm covering the sport from a fair, uh, objective pers- perspective. Like I'm, I'm just calling it the way it is. Here's the best part. Tell me why you're struggling. Right. And you don't know the best thing for, for all the guys is at the end of the day, I'm here to tell your story. Right. I'm just, I'm just a steering wheel. You tell me what you tell me what you want to say. And, and, that's that's your opinion. I will give you that avenue to say it. Have you had any, your- have have you had any of those run-ins where like somebody came to you and you thought, oh shit, I'm gonna have to fight my way out of this one? <laughs> um, I won't name names right now because I still have to work. Um, one of the things early on <laughs> in my career, so I didn't want to be on TV really ever, right? Right. Um, and again, people will. Look, people will probably listen to this podcast and misinterpret something I said. That's By the way, funny. again, I keep interrupting you, but you're really good at it. Like you, you, you have a really good presence on TV. You know what you're talking about. You care. Um, I think you do a great job at it. By the way, so in the early days of PBR Live, Brandon, I love where Brandon loved to twist the knife. Right? Brandon was great at creating drama and making it was fun working with Brandon. But I always had to walk on eggshells because Brandon would say something and that would piss off someone. And Brandon wouldn't go in the locker room all the time. He'd kind of just do his thing and yep. he'd have to go in and talk to the guys and get stories for the website or whatever. So I'd walk in the locker room and I'd be like, oh, so what'd you say this week? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That wasn't me. And there was one time Brandon said something and someone thought I said it. And they told someone else and I got confronted. And this person was ticked and they were like, I don't have to respect what you do. And you know nothing about bull riding. 
and I don't have to do anything with you. And I'm like, all right. And this, and I thought this person was going to just deck me. Did they need a translator to say these things? Uh, depends where you live. Again. <laughs> so, anywho, the person eventually apologized, and it was one of those things where what whatever they were mad about, I don't even know. It was just one of those things where they were fired up. They had seen something, and they thought I had said it, and it wasn't me. It was what Brandon said, but it got it got put off as I said it because I'm standing there next to Brandon. And it happens all the time. We're like guilty by association. Exactly. Exactly. And this person and I have a great relationship. So I would never throw them under the bus, but it was funny because for like two weeks I was pissed. I'm like, who are you to come after me? It's not my fault that you're in a slump or you're not happy with this. Like, that's not my fault. Um, But you know, it's been fun because for the most part, no one has ever really gotten pissed at me. Um, there's been times I've gotten phone calls and it's like, Hey, why did you, why'd you say this? And I, and I, I'll own it. If I'm wrong right. and I've messed up, I'll be the first. I, I welcome people to tell me I'm wrong. Like right. if I've messed up something like, no, I will admit that to a T. Um, but for the most part, everyone that I, I think I have a relatively good relationship with everyone. Um, I don't try to throw people under the bus or write things that aren't fair. I don't think it's my spot to, right. I don't think it's, me to i'm not going to criticize a guy for deciding for five weeks he doesn't want to ride with an injury that I, maybe i think he could ride with. that's that's not my role right um but yeah there's been some close calls I'm, I'm sure people have not liked what i have um what i wrote before um i know guys don't like being asked about buck off streaks that can be a little bit dicey um i know guys can be pissed if they don't the hard part is during the, during the finals when motions are really, really high Mm -hmm. and our guys aren't mandated to do media like other pro sports. So like, you know, when, um, when the Falcons lost the Patriots, they had to stand up there and take all those questions, right? There's no guarantee that when like last year, for example, Joe say he loses the title, right? And he's being asked by CBS to stand there and wait, they want to talk to him. And you can see the emotion on his face. He doesn't want to talk. He's, he's heartbroken, and understandably so. He worked his tail off all year. He has no cooling off period. He just basically bucked off. They're playing, you know, we are the champions, and he's trying to shake Jess's hand, congratulate him. Pure class act moment, right. by the way. But he's hurt. And he kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and they finally talked to him, and he just broke down afterwards. Mm-hmm. Lucas Tavino gave him a big hug and you just see the tears. And I waited for about probably an hour after the event, he's walking out of the arena with his wife and I'm like, Hey, do you mind talking? And he said, sure. He, he class. Act. He, gets it, though. he understands how important yes. that is. There's plenty of bull riders that wouldn't have wanted to talk. And the guys that do talk when they lose and JB's the best at it, mm-hmm. they earn a next level respect for me because in other sports, you have to speak at your lowest moments and it's terrible. I hate, trust me. I, I hate being the guy that's like, Hey, Jose, you just lost your dream an hour ago. How do you feel? I know how he feels. He feels like shit. Yep, He's like, why? That's right. that but fans want to know they want to, they want to, we all want to know what people think in their greatest moments. And sometimes in their lowest moments, as sad as that is like mm-hmm. you learn a lot about people when they are struggling, good and bad. Well, and it also sets the stage for an amazing comeback. 
And, you know, we might be very well seeing that and and that gratification that, you know, you might have thought was the best feeling ever a year ago gets better a year later. And for a guy like Jose, we are seeing one of the most special athletes I think we will ever see. Uh, the moment where he walks back to the buck and shoots and, and now it's, you've seen it a million times, the photo of Jose on the, on the gate, on the front of the buck and shoot, reaching over, shaking hands with Jess as Jess is getting ready. It, it's one of the moment, it, it might be the most prominent photo I will ever have in my mind for, for my entire career. It's one and of those things what, that I'll never forget. And you know what I, I love about that moment and it, Jose gave an interview on CBS that same day, and I guess he had said something. I forget exactly what it was, but it came across to some people that he was blaming the point system and he said it wasn't fair or whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. And he had some points that I could agree with, but a lot of people, they're like, well, he's not a sport, bad sportsmanship, this and that. And I'm like, look, trust me, where I talked to him after that interview where he actually had time to cool off and he gave Jess his credit. We saw the handshake. Like in that moment, he had such emotion. He probably said some things that maybe he didn't want to say or it came across the wrong way. And I would never hold that against him. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think we need more of that. I think right. we get so caught up and we don't want to see any negativity. I don't look at it as a negativity. I look at guys that don't like to lose as a positive thing. Um, uh, kind of on the same vein we were talking about Cooper earlier we're talking about interviews and everything was it Marshawn Lynch that uh he said I'm only here so I don't get fined I I think I think that's who it was so me and Coop were getting ready to go on show it might have been Flint's show in Vegas one time and uh or Matt Merritt somebody I don't even remember but we were backstage and Somebody asked him something. He said, I'm just here so I don't get fined. And I said, I will give you a $100 bill right now if you'll go out there and no matter what's said, you just pick up a microphone and say, I'm just here so I don't get fined and put the mic back down. I said, I'll give you a hundred bucks every time you say it. And he would not do it. He was too nice of a guy and he didn't want people to think he was a jerk. But I was like, man, how nice would it be to have one of those guys that it's okay you know, to, to come out and be just an asshole every once in a while? I don't know that oh, our sport will ever allow it. Uh, there, there are guys that could have that moment. <laughs> trust me, I know. Hey, I've right. been one of those guys. I've, I've, I've had some of those moments. Oh, but, it, it pisses me off. I'll, I'll get really pissed when guys blow me off, especially guys I work with a lot. Because, yeah. like, really, you know that I'm in your corner on this. I'm right. not. I'm not an asshole yeah. media guy. I'm, I'm going to tell your story politely. It reminds me. Speaking of phrases, so when I first started. I didn't know anyone, right? And I'm nervous. They don't know who I am. And I had this phrase, apparently. And I'd ask a guy, and I still say it every now and then, but now I'm self-conscious. Mm-hmm. I'd always say to someone, hey, do you, do you got a minute? That was like my intro to whoever. And Chase Outlaw called me out on it. He's like, a minute? Just a minute? Hey, Felisco, you got a minute? That Apparently, he, <laughs> everyone I talked to, I was saying it that way. And I'm like, crap. So now Chase and I joke all the time that, hey, it's going to be more than this, probably like five minutes. Uh, but it was funny because Chase caught on to me being nervous in that setting. And he was like, just like, he called me out on it. I was like, damn, all right. It's it's funny. We all have those little things. I looked at Scott Grover the other day and I wrote the word and on a piece of paper. And he looked at me and I said, I bet you $1,000 you can't go the rest of the show without saying this word. And 
he's coming back from break and he goes, and we're back. And he went, oh shit, right away. Like I said, boom, I've had people do it to me. Like we all have these crutches and it's, it's just part of it. Um, I think anybody that talks for a living or gets thrown into these situations, you have something that it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just an icebreaker or whatever it is, but it, it's, it's funny when you start talking about it. Cause you start to notice things that, uh, I didn't know I did that. I got to quit that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chase is one of my favorite interviews of, of all time. As we start to wrap this up, um, when you look back, what's the big or a couple of the biggest moments that you look back and you go, man, I'm glad I was here for this. Um, and I, I hate to say this one because it's my lowest moment, but it's also probably one of my proudest. Um, I'm glad I was there in Denver when, when Mason passed away. Um, and I say that because never would I have thought in my career that I would write something that I hated to write so much, mm-hmm. but I was so proud of. Yeah. Um, that story was the hardest thing I ever had to write in my life. I hope to God I never have to write it again. Um, but I, I genuinely believe that everything in your life happens for, for reasons. Right. And that story all starts with the moment that I had with Mason and JB and Jess and Colbob at a Springfield, Missouri hotel. And I'd forgotten about that moment that happened years before Mason had passed away, but it ended up, it ended up being the, the moment I needed to draw people into who Mason was because what really pissed me off about the whole situation, other than the fact of what, what happened was the fact that every other media outlet that picked up that story, no one tried to tell who Mason was. Bingo. No one did. He was just a bull rider that died in Denver. And that really ticked me off. And it still does. Um, so I'm glad I was there to, to try and put into words who he was. Um, I, I hate that story, but I'm very proud of it because it was something that took me. God, I didn't sleep for, I think, a day and a half. I worked nonstop on it. Um, and I never would have thought something that I would have, um, I guess, produced would be used at someone's funeral. That was never expected. And when the priest sat there and he's going through it, I'm like, Ooh, like that, that hit home. So I think that was definitely the biggest story I was ever a part of in my life, not just PBR, just because of the the magnitude of it. But the fact that I, I mean, Mason was a good friend of mine. I wasn't nearly as close as I, as you were with him, but um, you know, he was someone like, like Cooper, I came up with and, the night before that, he insisted on me getting a beer with him. And I was like, hey, I'll hold that beer until you're back on tour. We'll yeah. celebrate when you're in the major leagues again. Yeah. And we didn't, didn't have that. We didn't have that, uh, that beer. So that, that, was, um, that was tough. But Mason used to always give me crap about how I'd always write about Jess or JB. He's like, what, you only like people's names to start with a J like yourself? <laughs> and he gets so pissed about it. So, you know, I... I, I I do think that Mason, I'm sure probably read that story. And I think he'd be happy that, um, I thought, you know, he got, he got his, uh, maybe his big, his big moment from me. But, uh, I, I agree with you on that. And a lot of people won't understand this, but you know, you mentioned that we were super close and, uh, I talked about our last conversation at the funeral, um, which 
hands down the hardest thing I've ever had to do was was speak at at a funeral. Um, hardest thing I've ever had to do professionally was that next night. Yeah. As bad as it sucked, as much as I still to this day hate it, I'm glad it was me and not somebody else. Selfishly, uh, for my friend, I'm glad it was me and not somebody else. So. Yeah. So that, I mean, that is definitely the big one, but I will say in terms of lighter subject matter, some of those big moments for me, you know, I, I love the finals, not because it's the championship moment, but because every year there is something that happens in this sport that, that is pretty monumental. And it always seems to happen in Vegas. Like I love the fact that I wrote about Jose Vitor Lemmy before he started. Like I remember sitting there saying, Hey, this guy's a real deal. And no one believed me. They're like, okay, okay, Justin, sure. You're just a sports writer. I'm like, no, this, this kid's the real deal. Um, you know, I'll never forget being on the back of the shoots when, when he rode magic train, looking at Matt Sharping and the reaction that Sharping had, it was like, whoa. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, the Bush record JB stuff was always fun being able to chronicle parts of JB's career. I will always, always appreciate. Um, he's a living legend. To, to have my name attached to things he's accomplished, that is that is definitely a, uh, a uh, thing I'll never forget. Fun fact about JB, my first bull riding event I ever worked at home for the PBR was when he rode Bushwhacker. Really? I spent a month and a half learning from Keith Cartwright that this bull Bushwhacker was the greatest of all time and no one can ride him. And then JB rides him. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, get, okay, greatest bull of all time. Right, yeah. Like, so I, I always laugh about that. Um, you know, the Chase Outlaw Cheyenne, you mentioned Chase, we started with Chase. Um, Cheyenne was another one of those moments where things happen in this sport when the recorder is not on or you're not necessarily thinking about a story, but you're always working. You're always thinking of those kind of things. So when Chase got hurt last year, no one knew how bad it was. Mm-hmm. He thought he broke his nose. Okay, you know, whatever, get surgery. The next day, word trickles in that, man, Chase is in bad shape. Like, he is really got some serious surgery the night before. So, you know, Cheyenne happens, and um, that the day after Cheyenne, we were getting ready to leave to drive out to Colorado Springs, and uh, Heather Crows, a former PR manager, wanted to go visit Chase. And she's like, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I'll go as long as Chase is okay with, you know, with the family school, then I'll come by and say hello. No interview, just want to go in there and, and, and say hello, right? Um, and I'll never forget leaving the room. Chase turned and he's got the bandages all over and he looked like, he looked like shit. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't yeah. Admit that, right. And he goes, Hey, I'll see you. And I'll see you in Tulsa. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you won't. I'm like, okay. He was adamant. He'd be in Tulsa. Now he didn't come back for Tulsa, but he's like, I'll make, he also says something along the lines of I'll make the finals. So we walk out of there and later that year, he ends up winning the velocity finals. I believe it was. And I use that moment of being in the hospital room with him as a sign that Chase was never going to quit. And those are the great parts about our sport that I take for granted for times because I get to have these moments with these athletes that I wouldn't get if I was working for the New York times, that access is always there. There's a trust factor where I may see a guy at the bar and have a couple beers and get a story idea out of it. And I can write that story years later for that matter. Um, so that, that Cheyenne thing was written. The, the cool thing about that for me was that that story I wrote on Chase and that moment in the hospital 
became a CBS feature then. Corey Kelly then did the whole thing over. So there's been a lot, man. There's been a lot of crazy things. That uh you know, we 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 keep talking about Michael Jordan. I don't remember if it was the last episode or one of the last episodes, they walk into a back room and it's Michael and all these like local reporters that are just sitting there hanging out. They're not tell talking about a story or anything. He's just talking to a handful of his normal reporters. I watched that and I was like, dude, that's us. Like that's, that's us. They're just sitting around hanging out with the greatest of all time, but they're going to be able to tell a million stories just by being around, you know, that special athlete. I was like, we get to do that. Like that's legitimately what we get to do every week. So it it was cool. It was just a a cool thought I had. And so, um, man, we've been on here a, a minute. Uh, I'm glad I finally got you on here. We're going to have to do this again. Hey, whenever you want, man. Yeah. You've said that for a year and a half now. Okay. I don't believe that shit either. All right. Well, the prop, the problem is that you always ask me. So again, (laughs) one, I want the story not to be about me, but it is fun sharing who I am, I guess. But no, the problem is you always ask me on event weekends where I get, so people probably don't know this, you know, this, but I have a routine when I go to an event. Every night I go for, I go for a run for an hour. If there's a hockey game on, I'll watch that game for three hours and work out. That's like my one night to kind of do my thing. But then I do go down to the hotel bar or hotel lobby and I work, or I just shoot the shit with people. Mm -hmm. So you always ask me to do the podcast when either I'm working out, there's a hockey game on and Hey, let's do it on Sunday night or, and you're already heading home or whatever. So we got to figure out the schedule, but um, it's funny because we have very similar schedules and you would think, oh, they got kind of the same schedule. They'll be able to fit free time. But like when we have free time, no, if we have free time, we're trying to catch up on sleep or trying to get in a quick workout, which to both of us is important. A lot of people, uh, that's one of the things Megan said. She said, you know, talk to him about running because I don't think people realize like how in shape Felisco is and how much he runs and like, well, I mean, like running five K's and, and. Every time I see you at an event, if we're not at the arena, you are in a business center, the lobby, in front of a computer, and I mean at 5.30 in the morning or midnight, you're in front of a computer, or you're on a treadmill running. Well, it's all connected, right? It's I, I genuinely believe that, and you're a fitness guy, so I know you'll get this. If you want to have success in your career, no matter what it is, you need to have a mental strength. Yep. That comes from pushing yourself physically yep. in whatever way you see fit. But to be strong physically, you need to have the mental strength that comes from ch- pushing yourself in your career or studying something or reading something or watching something. It's, it's all connected. It's one big triangle, circle, spirit, mind, body. That's a big thing for my college I went to that I, I take to heart. I think you need those three areas of your life. And if you, you got to find time to focus on all three because if you – you cut back on one, you hurt the other one. I think you, you have to feel back. good. I think you have to feel healthy to stay mentally stable uh, with all the travel, with all the ups and downs of everything that we see. I mean, because it is a roller coaster and the travel gets, uh, it gets to be a job. The travel does. And so I think you have to feel good. I think you have to feel healthy to be able to combat that. Right. Let's see. Now that you got this camera thing figured out, we can just do this whenever you want now. <laughs> okay. Uh, Hotel room, you mean the other hotel room? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see how this turns out. Hopefully, before long, we'll be able to sit down in the same room and do it like we, like we always kind of have before. I, I'm, I'm ready to get back to normalcy. That's just me. 
Everybody's got their own opinion, but I'm ready to reopen the world and uh, start hugging people again. Hey, you know what? There, there's a lot of talk about normalcy. Mm-hmm. I don't think we will ever get back to quote no. unquote normal. I think the the goal going forward for everyone is outside of saving lives and really figuring out that element of the world, right? Um, it's just for all of us, I think, to get back to feeling normal again. Yeah. It may not be normal, but it's going to be adjusting and finding that sense of normalcy, whatever it is. If, if normalcy is now putting on a, a mask for a couple of weeks, then so be it, right? right. That will that will become normal. I think we're getting to a point now where everyone is is redefining what this world is. And that's exciting. I think everyone is going to see light at the end of the tunnel. We waited for a while to kind of figure out when it was coming. I think there is a light there. We just don't know when it's going to be. Uh, before long, we're going to have to come back and we're going to have to recount because I really do think that you are covering the most unique time in sports history. Um, I think that this is, I hate the word unprecedented. It's been beaten into the ground. Um, but we're going to look at this a couple years from now and go, man, there was never another time like this in all of sports. And so we're going to have to come back. We're going to have to revisit this and talk about it. But you talk about all those that are out there on the front lines. Um, we're actually recording this podcast on national nurses day and your girlfriend is a frontline worker. She's out there continuing to work and, and help others. So do me a favor. Tell Morgan uh, that we said hello. Tell her we said thank you. Uh, just give her a big hug for us. Of course, I will. She is a she. She puts me back in in my place. I'll sit and I'll complain about the bull rider not calling me back or or you know whatever. Right. All the things that we complain about in our jobs. Talk to that uh, frontline worker and and. She, blessed. She's not working directly with um, the coronavirus patients. Um, her friends are. One of her best friends is down in New Orleans, so my hats are off to her as well. But anyone that works in healthcare, they can put all of the challenges that we have in normal normal work. <laughs> it's different. Like yeah. The things that see and deal with, my hats are off to all of them. Um, Morgan especially, she is she's phenomenal. The things that she deals with in her, in her line of work are things that I don't want to ever deal with. So my hats are off to her and everyone else. And, uh, she'll get hugged from me as well tonight. Well, at the end of the day, dude, we're pretty lucky. We're, uh, we're pretty fortunate to get to live the life we live. So, uh, I'm glad we got to do this. I appreciate you taking the time, bud. Yeah, man. Anytime you want to do it, especially during the the nine to five range. I mean, technically I'm working right now. This is an easy way for me to check the box at work, I guess. Right. Perfect, man. Sounds good. Well, Justin, I appreciate it. You bet, man. Thanks, buddy.